Amen. That's the last we can use that uh, bumper video before the preaching because we conclude today in the book of James. I hope it's been a blessing to you as we've preached this little epistle, uh, interrupted by some uh, other preaching, of course. But today we do conclude in the last two verses of James chapter 5. So please find your Bible and open it there to chapter 5 or your device and locate it. I want to talk uh, to you about a message uh, that I'm entitling, Bring the Wandering Ones to Jesus. I want to begin by telling you the dropout rate for those who once professed Christ is alarming. Truth is, we don't have to think too long before someone comes to mind who used to have a dynamic, determined faith, but seemingly now they have drifted and become disinterested, indifferent, and even defected from what we would call faith in Christ. Joshua Harris, well-known name in evangelical Christianity, he was the pastor of Covenant Life Church and Sovereign Grace Ministries in Gaithersburg, Maryland. From 2004 to 2015, he authored six books, one uh, that sold 1.2 million copies. Some of you will remember this book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And Josh in 2018 renounced his faith and has divorced his wife. He's left his church and his colleagues wondering what in the world went wrong. We may never know, but we can conclude something wasn't right. He walked away, seemingly sent one out. You know, I've heard it said, and I believe it to be so, the, per- the closer a person gets to sexual sin, the more unreal God becomes. Right. We will eventually find out whether he comes to orthodox faith in Christ but that remains to be seen. But here's what I'm telling you today. He's not in some exclusive camp by himself. He's a high-profile personality who apostatized. He's wandered from the truth. And my observation is this, as we kind of launch out in this text. In the church today, we put a whole lot more emphasis on how a person begins and how they finish. And while how a person begins, of course, in Christianity is... Is, is key. It's paramount. It's, it's the only way you can begin. That's through personal faith and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ through repentant heart and spirit. By walking through a narrow gate that leads to life through your own personal faith. But while that's been the only emphasis, it seems, to the neglect oftentimes of what about those that uh, are, depart? What, what are we to make of them? Or, are, are they really of the faith? Did they make a decision? And what went wrong? So while starting correctly is critical, I'm telling you, the Bible warns us about departing, about continuing on to growing in our faith, to growing in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. And Jesus himself said, those who endure to the end, the same shall be saved. And here in our text, James is concerned about those who have departed from the church. So he gives instructions on how we need to do this, bring the wandering ones to Jesus. Verse 19 of chapter 5, brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Pray with me. Father, today as we look at this text, it is a perplexing matter from our observation What's gone wrong with so many people who said once they believed? 
And Lord, I know this, we're not to make ourselves judge and jury, but we are to do and respond even as James instructs us here to keep asking the question, Lord, help us to stay strong, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. I pray, Father, for each one that's here. As we preach this message, if, Lord, you bring someone to mind that they need to indeed talk to, react, respond in a way that would not only glorify you, that would once again draw them to where they need to be spiritually. Help me to communicate this in a clear, concise way. So be honored in your church today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm calling what these wandering ones uh, have, who've departed, he makes mention here, are in a precarious condition. They're precarious condition. They are dangerously living apart from God. And so James, as you well know, is about authentic faith. And James qualifies it in chapter 1 by saying, here's the way real faith responds. It re, it's the way we respond to trials, how we resist temptation, indeed how we refrain our tongue. But then he also says it's also how we receive the truth. And so real religion, he qualifies, is one who acts upon what he knows to do in his heart. He cares for orphans and widows, those in need. He keeps himself spotless and unstained from the world. So in here, these last two verses, he mentions those who've gone spiritually AWOL. They've departed from the fellowship of the church, and now not only have they become stained by the world, but they have too become engulfed by their own carnality. The word he uses here, planeo, literally means they've gone astray. They've wandered from the path. Thus he or she have wandered, drifted. It indicates that it wasn't necessarily abrupt or or more, it was gradual, like a boat. Here's the picture that's unanchored, and that boat begins to drift, and so it is with this person. Here's what I know. Anything that begins to drift never makes it to its intended destination. Of course it doesn't. It's not being steered. It's not being intentionally guided. It's a picture of one who departs from the truth, and they wander off a slow fade into the world. For us to say this is rare is to turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to countless people who once served in the church faithfully and diligently, volunteered, and their personal faith seemed to be guided in controlling their decisions, but that's not the case anymore. They've drifted, they've departed, they've wandered from where they used to be spiritually. So what are we to say about these people? Have they lost the faith they once had? Here's what we do know that the Bible clearly teaches. There is a security of the believer. And the phrase that we often use is once saved, always saved. But the best way to understand this doctrine is by saying, we believe in the perseverance of the believer, perseverance of the saints. And so thus, we don't become saved because we persevere, but we persevere in our faith because we are saved. You see, countless times in the Bible, we're commanded to keep the faith, to be contending for the faith, to make our calling and election sure. And Jesus calls us to be found faithful to the end. I read this this week. I was taken back by it. The Christian Research Council published this this week that said 32% 
of practicing Christians have not come to church since COVID started, nor have they watched a church service online. We're talking 90 days. They don't have enough interest spiritually to turn on their computer or make an effort to come to church. And I'm not certainly sitting in judgment. I'm just saying something's not right. In 1 John 2, after the apostle tells us we're not to love the world, neither the things that are of the world, and the one who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And he says this, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust thereof. But he who does the will of God will live forever. And then verse 19, listen to me, he says this, they went out from us because they were not of us. For if they would have been of us, surely they would have remained with us, but their going away proved they really were not of us. So people who wander from their previously confessed faith is nothing new. This was written by the Apostle John 2,000 years ago. But I'm just telling you today, I wonder has the problem ever been greater? But what happens? What's the origin? What's the basis for this apparent apostasy? Let me suggest it's often is that they begin to listen to, learn from, and soon develop misguided ideas that's been propagated by secular, sensual, and a sinister source because that's what the world we live in is communicating. And you start giving an attentive ear to that endless rhetoric, I'm telling you spiritually, you will be sinking. And this this communication that comes from the world, it is not PG-13. It's R-rated. You know what that means? It's restricted. And it should be restricted from us as believers in Jesus Christ. Because if we don't live a restricted life from the world, we'll find ourselves falling away ourselves. Because the Bible says this, sin is always attractive. And the pleasures, though, are but for a season. Remember what it says in Hebrews chapter 11 with Moses? He chose to suffer with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. But here's what I'm telling you today, people of God. Those pleasures of sin is a sinking ship. It is going down. You live your life there, and so will you, for the wages of, a, of sin is death. Listen, you indeed can discover this. If you're not really growing in your faith, if you're not disciplined, if you're not intentionally seeking to live your life for God, you may be drifting. If you find yourself disinterested in spiritual things, that you don't care about worship, you don't care about living out your witness, you don't care about growing in your faith, and even though sometimes it's difficult and you see no result of maybe what you're doing, still you're anchored to the truth of what the gospel says. And here's what happens. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And if we don't find ourselves feeding on the Word of God, reading and meditating, applying in our life, we'll begin to drift. People drift because they hang out with the wrong crowd. People drift because they listen to the wrong advice. People drift because they get involved with things that are not simply right. And they live in darkness. And they no longer care about the light. John 3, 9 says, and this is the verdict, light is coming into the world, but people love darkness more than, their light, more than light. You know why? Because their deeds are evil. 
And here in the book of James, it's about being doers of the word. And the one who hears and doesn't do, he's like that man who looks in the mirror and he walks away and forgets who he is. And so James is reminding us here in these closing two verses that there are those who are departing from the faith. And, And then he calls for us to have, secondly, a personal concern. Not only a precarious condition of those who drift, but our personal concern. He declares... He says, regarding the ones who've fallen away headlong into sin, someone needs to have enough concern and compassion that they will, <clears throat> excuse me, they will do something about it. There's a hymn that we used to sing, and uh, uh, actually written in the 19th century by a man named William Ogden. It goes like this, bring them in, bring them in, bring them in from the fields of sin. Bring them in, bring them in, bring the wandering ones to Jesus. So James is saying here, we can't be indifferent, and, and we can't just be one who abdicates the role to someone else, but you and I are to do what we can do. You know, as I thought about this week, I wondered, what is the reluctance for us not to want to do anything? I think I understand it a little bit, because oftentimes we don't want to appear too judgmental or condemning, and God knows we need to get the log out of our own eye before we go looking for a speck in someone else's. The problem is, it's easier to do nothing than it is to do something. And that's how we default. We live with that old adage, let sleeping dogs lie. Besides, we might bring to them a solution that they're not interested in even hearing, and they have no desire to resolve. Listen, here's what I'm telling you. It's not even so much if we go, but how we go. And Galatians 6.1 talks about this very thing, and I want you to hear this verse once again with me. Brethren, if anyone is taken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one with a spirit of gentleness, lest you become tempted and also fall. So for us to be the person who brings the one who's departed, we have to do something. And I I, I alliterated three things, I think, that's kind of mandatory if we're interested in following through with what the Bible would tell us. One, under A, we're to care. We can't be cavalier. We can't be unconcerned. We can't be indifferent to those who seemingly has fallen away. And even to have an emotional response is really not enough. If someone says they care about us, perhaps we're appreciated Perhaps they demonstrate some compassion, and, and we wonder even, is this care calling them or compelling them to do anything? So yes, we're to care. That's where it begins. But James is telling us, don't let it stop with simply caring. You know, one of the saddest verses in all the Bible is Psalms 1, I think it's 142.4, where David said this, no one cares for my soul. Can you imagine Maybe someone who's drifted away, living in a different place spiritually, maybe living in unbelief, and, and they re- reflect upon that. No one cares for me. We care. That's where it begins. It begins with caring. Secondly, contact. By that I mean reach out, call them on the phone, send a personal note, demonstrate some concern. Listen, the book of James is replete with admonitions to do something. It's faith without works is useless he said but real faith demonstrates that we are of the faith 
And if we do not ever do anything, but we, ha- we talk a good game, he says something's wrong with our own faith. Let's be willing, if led by the Holy Spirit, not only to care, but to contact. And then the third C is capture. Capture their wayward heart. Here's what he's saying. We can do something. We can draw the net on their soul, bring them back, bring them into fellowship with God, bring them back to fellowship with God's people because of our unconditional love for them. Bring them into fellowship. 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You know what that word fellowship means? It means we have things in common. As believers in Jesus Christ, we have things in common. What do we have in common? We have a devotion, a saving faith in Jesus Christ. It makes us a part of the family of God. Listen, this is a family thing I'm talking to you about. One of the family members have have left. They've gone away. They've departed. And so the Bible puts it in that context. You know, we sing a little chorus some years ago. Some of you remember it. Bill and Glory Gaither wrote it. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain. I've been cleansed by his blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod, for I'm part of the family, the family of God. And I'm simply telling you this is a family mandate, that we care, that we're willing to reach out, and we then, by the grace of God, can capture a wayward soul. I know many of you know the great prodigal son story out of Luke chapter 15. You remember the younger son asked for his inheritance, and he took it and immediately went to what the Bible calls the far country. And there he spent his money, his inheritance, on riotous living. And then hard times fell upon him, and he found himself feeding pigs and eating the slop of a pig pen. But the Bible says there in his sin, he came to himself, and he got up and out of that sad and serious situation, and he made his way back to the Father's house. And the Father willingly, the loving Father, a picture of our God, restored him. A couple of things I notice about that wonderful prodigal son story. One, the loving Father didn't go after him. He loved him. He welcomed him home. You say, well, why, why didn't the loving father go to the far country and get him? Listen, here's what I know. Because God has already done something for those who are redeemed. God has loved us. He's given us his love on Calvary. But God demonstrated his love for us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He accomplished the mission for which he was sent, and that's to redeem those who would believe. But it seems he's left us with a mission here to bring them home. So we can watch, we can shake our head, we can point a finger of condemnation, or we can do something else. We can seek to bring them back into fellowship with God. In that parable, the loving father sat patiently and waited, but he didn't coerce him. But indeed, when he came to himself, he welcomed him home. And I will promise you that will be the truth of our God. But he's calling us, perhaps, to have an attentive ear, attentive eye, to see those who've fallen out of fellowship with God and seek to bring them 
to where they need to be spiritually. Precarious condition, a personal concern, but he quits with this, and we conclude this book with this truth, what I'm calling a possible consequence, because he goes on to say in these closing verses, reminds us of the gravity of the mission of turning a sinner from the error of his ways, and he says, we can save a soul from death and indeed cover a multitude of sins. So the person who wanders from the truth really puts their life in jeopardy, their soul in jeopardy. And James says here we can save a soul from death. He's not talking about physical death, of course. There are sins that lead to death, but he's talking about spiritual death, eternal separation from God, eternal damnation. And we have a call clearly from Jesus in John chapter 15. And you know what he's calling us as his followers to do? Remain in him, abide in him. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that remains in me and I in him, the same will bring forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Throughout chapter 15, he's calling us to, to abide, to remain, to stay connected to him. And you know as well as me, we're talking about high-stakes stuff, serious business. It seems eternity is in the balance. So here's what I, I, here's what I know, to, know to tell you. This is all I know. Let's do what we can and leave the rest to Jesus. We're only instruments to be used of God. We can't talk someone into something. We can't repent for them. It takes a willingness for them to come to themselves and, and understand there is a way back home. You see, the gospel is clearly this, and the just shall live by faith. Those who are justified with God live by faith. Not that they simply had a faith at one point in, uh, at point in their life, but they now have thrown it aside. They're still justified by faith. We're still justified by faith. Faith that's no longer in Jesus is no faith at all. For by grace are we saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's God's gift, lest any of us would boast. We've become his workmanship now, creating Christ Jesus to do good works. So let's do what we can. Let's bring the wandering ones to Jesus. We can save a soul from death, and it'll cover a multitude of sins. Would you bow your heads with me today? Father, we realize it's not by works of righteousness we've done, but according to your mercy, you've saved us. And I pray today, Lord, that you would use this text of Scripture for us to have opportunity, one, to fan into flame the compassion and care that we have for other people. Help us not to be too quick to write anybody off. Help us to continue to love in a way that tells of your redemption and that where sin abound, grace does much more abound. But Lord, help us to be objective in any kind of spiritual evaluation that those who've grown indifferent and cold in their faith have no desire to be with your people or to worship in your church. Lord, help us not through condemnation, but through an effort of restoration, go and demonstrate with care 
that they're worth the effort. And I pray, O oh Lord, that we can be effective in that. So, Lord, I pray to a bunch of good people who are here today. I thank you for each one that's here. And, Lord, I know that when we preach your word, sometimes it cuts to the core of, of our life, calls us to reflect, meditate, and act in accordance with your desire. So I pray to that end today. First, I pray for those who may be here, and, Lord, they're, they've fallen out of fellowship with you. They're at church today, but something's sorely wrong in their heart and in their spirit. And even this message could be a wake-up, an alarming call from the portals of heaven to bring them back to where they need to be spiritually. I pray to that end today. I pray if there's any here that know you not in the free pardon of sin, that they would, in sincerity, acknowledge their need for you and get up and out of their sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ so they could be saved even today. I pray for those who need to follow through with the faith that haven't been baptized as yet. I pray that they would understand that that, that public confession is expected for everyone who names the name of Jesus and they would come out and willingly be baptized. I pray for some here today that you're calling in a distinct way maybe into ministry, maybe into missions, maybe into a new opportunity that they have before them that you would like to place them and use them as salt and light in a new place, a different place. It'll require faith for them to go. I pray they would acknowledge that before you and, and respond. So, Lord, I thank you for the privilege of preaching your word today. We stand on the truth. It doesn't return void, but it will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. And we pray to that end. In Jesus' precious name, and all God's people said, amen. You know what that word amen means, church? Let it be. Let it be. We sang it today.